Bernstein and Holmes. I hate being a fan of this team. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. They'll break huddle. They'll be in the victory formation. It's 4th and 11. Purdy is under center. He takes the snap. He backpedals a step. Zeroes on the clock. It's over. The sideline's empty. With the comeback for the ages, the 49ers are going back to the Super Bowl and ripping the heart out of the Lions. Ouch, or you put it that way, Kevin Harlan. You have, it's like those commercials. Well, that was dramatic. <laughs> Strangely enough, though, Dan Campbell said that after the game. Mm. He was like having your heart ripped out. Yeah. He's like he was well, listening to the broadcast. Well, he was himself, and maybe that was a time to learn to not be yourself. But if he was going to go out, he was going to go out being Dan Campbell. Doesn't really make it. Was that your takeaway, though? Like, did, did you take better. issue with the fourth downs? I, I was. I, I didn't stand up and say that you're wrong mm-hmm. at the time. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I would have reversed all three of them. But I do think that that given the benefit of hindsight, you certainly could say it would have made more sense. You know, I'm. It's some of that second guessing stuff in a league that has so many in a league possible <laughs> these, these these like Kevin qu- Harlan to say that in a league the quantum number of, of mm. outcomes that that can occur it, it's hard to do that but I know that he's Dan Campbell will be kicking himself for and a it's while. why they're here right? right like it's why they got to that point it's why they arrived at that stage him being him and the belief the team has in that uh, you know, again, my, my wife was an athlete. She loved sports. We're sitting there watching the games. And in that moment, you know, we, we had that disagreement in that moment of whether or not, the, at least the final fourth down, you know, whether or not that one made sense. As far as I, my wife, my wife never questioned Dan Campbell in <laughs> okay. front of her. Really? She wants to date all. Dan Campbell. She okay. just, all right. you know, she was really down. She wants night. someone twice your size with bigger pecs she, than you. Yeah, well, I mean, she just, she loves <laughs> ever since Hard Knocks. Okay. She is, she just, because she always watches Hard Knocks. Okay. And this is her first year actually realizing she, she likes football. She's hated football all it's her life long. until she's realized, you know what? Because I found her, she used to kind of half watch, and then she's asking me questions like, what's the difference between defensive holding, pass interference, and illegal contact? I'm like, oh. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to I'm glad you asked. And, and, and she is enjoying the Chiefs thing, and yeah. she, but Dan Campbell's her guy, and okay. she was really sad for him. Yeah, understandably so. And I mean, of course, I played with the Lions. I got a bunch of them on all, you know, Lions Which, emails and text on the Owen team? So I was on the team. I was on the team that <laughs> yes. started 0-12 and then won two out of the last four games. Gotcha. I, okay. I left Detroit by the 0-16 team. Okay. Uh, but, but I have experienced the Lions fans' angst and pain, and I know I certainly know what that feels like. But I think for for yesterday's game, though, in in knowing who Dan Campbell is, knowing who Detroit has been, and frankly, just knowing kind of modern football sensibilities of analytics and everything else, I, I thought for the most part he handled. I, I thought the the one where where Reynolds had the the drop on, I think it was the middle of the fourth downs. I, I maybe took a little bit of issue with that, but the one at the end of the first half where they kicked the field goal, where you have you have a semblance of control of the game there. And, okay, you kick the field goal as opposed to going for the fourth down. The very last one, a 48-yard field goal. And to me, it's several factors in that decision. One, the makeability of the kick. And, yes, a 48-yarder, you certainly can get that. But at the same time, it's the ability to tie the game there, not take the lead. But then also, San Francisco was rolling so much offensively at that point in the game. They had kind of solved the Lions' defensive puzzle. So even if you tie the game in the fourth quarter – 
There's still over seven minutes. They're getting the rock. They've been moving the ball consistently going into that stage of the game. I don't know that tying the game, even if you make that 48-yarder, I don't think Dan Campbell views like tying the game at that moment is giving them a real advantage with the way San Francisco had begun operating I, offensively there. I wonder if it would have at least broken some momentum, though. Like, to me, the, instead of like compound interest, there was compound mm-hmm. momentum mm-hmm. in them not getting the fourth down. Like yes, San Francisco had been in control, mm. and they're like, "We're still in control." Yeah, you and just you diffuse the energy a little bit, just a just a little I think bit, a and little maybe bit. it changes. Yeah, I think a little bit. Sure, if if it was a thirty-five yard field goal, and he didn't go for that, I would have had a bigger question than a forty-eight yard. The the cost benefit analysis of the potential for missing a forty-eight yard, giving them that field position that goes with it, and how much do we benefit from hitting a forty-eight yard? With still, I think it was like. Oh, well over seven minutes left with in the, the journeyman fourth quarter. kicker. Yeah, and they're going to get the ball again anyway. So either way, you're going to have to come up with another stop. Either way, you're going to get the ball back with a chance to win, whether you make or miss that. But the bigger benefit would have been on a fourth and three. And they've made so many fourth downs this season. If you do convert that fourth down, turn that drive into a touchdown, now your defense takes the field with a lead. Their offense is now more on their heels than just a tie game when they've been rolling up to that point. So none of it guarantees you anything. But for me in that moment, thinking about the position Dan Campbell's in in that game where you're not living in the matrix. These aren't just sort of, you know, numbers and pluses and minuses. You're dealing with people here. And what gives us the best the best sort of intangible or momentum benefit? What's our cost-benefit analysis? If we turn this drive into a touchdown, we get more out of that than if we tie it here. And we certainly negate any possibility of momentum if we miss a 48-yarder and they get it with great field positions. I, I think there's a logical case to be made either way. I just I didn't take a big issue with that one, especially at that point in the game with so much time remaining. What did you think was the difference in the two teams in, in the second half of the game? I mean, you know, home field matters, and we don't think of of San Francisco as being this great home field environment. Detroit had a bunch of fans out there, too. You could hear them in mass at various points in the game. But such a deep and talented roster that has been battle-tested as San Francisco, even though they, you know, they haven't all commanded that Super Bowl stage or hoisted the trophy in the end. But you can tell that team has been through some battles together before. That is a, a veteran defensive front that found ways at key moments in the game. And Jared Goff, as veteran a quarterback as he is, they began to find ways to kind of rattle him where he started off so hot and then began to kind of fizzle at stretches in the game. And, you know, Christian McCaffrey is outstanding. And we were talking about Debo Samuel a bit last week. When you have weapons like that, George Kittle didn't have a high volume of catches, but the catches he made were very impactful. And he's just a really tough cover. Boy, can he block. Yeah. My God. God, and is he a relentless blocker? We were just talking about the Baltimore Ravens of all teams getting away from their run game. Those are two teams on the field that, yes, have passing attacks that can make plays, but they have an offensive scheme and a, a determined willingness to continue going back to the run game over and over again. This is where, like, the, the thing I emailed you guys with the list, you know, the teams who've been most successful over the last quarter century are teams who play defense who do have a dependable rushing attack. That's the majority of that list that I was you know, talking to Parkins about late last week of, of the, the programs in the NFL who have been most successful mirror more like San Francisco and like Detroit. And then, yes, at some point, you, you, if you get the guy and everything else is, is sort of cured for you, maybe you get a Patrick Mahomes or something like that. But the teams who have sustained success most are squads who put a defense together, who have a willingness to run the football and take alleviate some of the pressure off the quarterback. 
on a consistent basis, like these volume passing outfits constantly put on them. And that's what, to me, San Francisco and Detroit are both that. And, and it showed why they made that game. Well, that's why I asked this as sort of this fundamental question when we look at the Super Bowl combatants and we look at the decision the Bears have to make. If you're making that argument, what's going to happen is everybody listening is jumping up and down saying, see, this is why the Bears should keep Justin Fields and mm-hmm. trade the pick and build around him explicitly. Are you making that case through your analysis of this recent history, or are you just putting it out there? Like, is this a subtweet or not? I'm not making the case the Bears should keep Justin Fields. I do believe there's a more than logical case for them to do that. I believe the Bears will be a more successful team in 2024's NFL season with Justin Fields at quarterback than a rookie QB. Okay. But there, there's a more than intelligent case to make for if you – Get, you know, the right guy. If you get a really talented guy, number one overall, and put this great roster in place, I think logically the Bears will likely draft Caleb Williams or whoever they think is the best guy at number one, and it will probably make sense. But that being said, there's things beyond just the evaluation of the quarterback that, to me, indicate it makes sense. It's a fascinating discussion. I mean, it really is. So the way you look at this and the way you frame it, where everybody can be right. Yeah. Everybody can, yeah. and somebody could stipulate to everything you're saying. Mm-hmm. And even Ryan Poles could say, Anthony, you make a compelling and lucid argument overruled mm-hmm. because Caleb Williams, in our evaluation, yeah. might possibly be an all timer. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be the team that let him get past us. Right. And I think that the film of Caleb Williams, because I've certainly talked to people who've known Caleb Williams and evaluated him, and people who very much vouch for some of the intangibles that are in question at this point, but Ryan Poles and his team will have to sort of sift through a lot of that. But just the evaluation of the film, Caleb Williams is certainly a better prospect at this point in his development than Justin Fields was. But Matt Eberflus is going into year three. The Bears are going into a we-got-to-win-it type of season. And do you want to saddle a third-year coach with a rookie QB, those types of things. But the teams who've been, over the last quarter century, most successful in football, like Baltimore and Philadelphia and Seattle and Kansas City, these are a lot of squads who win consistently, make the playoffs like every other year, have made multiple Super Bowls with a variety of different quarterbacks and multiple head coaches because they play defense and they run the football and they have really talented rosters and the infrastructure of development. That's my biggest concern as it relates to the Bears because when you get bites at the apple all the time, like the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys are in the playoffs almost every year. They haven't won a playoff game in ages, but they're in the playoffs like, Sorry, I just like on an annual basis with Tony Romo and Dak Prescott and like Quincy Carter. Like They're there every year, and they get that bite at the apple on a regular basis. The outlier is the squad that is the Indianapolis Colts, where they get Peyton Manning, and then they just go on this run for a couple of decades. That, it's just it's different than what is actually the the true measure of success in football on a consistent basis. That is my biggest frustration with this entire conversation. And to me, the final four of the the NFL this year was a great example of it can be done in different ways. Mm. There's a quarterback that was taken at the bottom of the first round. Right. He's going to end up being the MVP of the league. The other guy was kind of a throwaway failed <laughs> starter mm-hmm. playing for Detroit. You have the 256 pick in the draft, and you have the quarterback who was overlooked by a lot of people in the draft community that are, if you go look, even guys that I love, like Daniel Jeremiah, 
Go look at their 2017s and the quarterbacks that they had ranked. Mm-hmm. Go look at everyone and what they told, how many people had Mitch number one on their board and had Patrick Mahomes third on their I, board. I certainly have Mahomes third. I had Watson one, Mitch two, Mahomes three. It's like, ah, right, it's an air raid guy. How frequently does that work at this level? He's careless See? with the football. Like all, the, all that stuff in the evaluation matters. And to me, if, you know, Caleb Williams, if he is sort of this Mahomes type facsimile, modern football gives it more of a possibility of working. But in the end, can he be as good as Mahomes? Like to me, right now, Mahomes is one of one with that frequency of playing beyond the script of the play as a passer. So do you get that? If Mahomes is Steph Curry, can Caleb be Trey Young? Something like that. But him being Mahomes feels pretty unlikely to me. But that being said, yes, but of, that of being- course, like, <laughs> yes, of course, it's unlikely it's re- it's that he's going unlikely. to be Patrick yes. Mahomes. And people like I hate that they're people even using his name <laughs> when when they're talking about Caleb yeah. Williams. Because I mean, you got to come up with a comp, though, I, right? I get, I get it, that. But because he's so unique. Mm-hmm. It really bothers me that people yeah. are just like, oh, well, the, clearly, uh-huh. clearly he's he's got the improvisational skills right. of Patrick Mahomes. Because Zach Wilson you, was supposed to be Patrick Mahomes a couple right? of years ago, too. I Do mean, you understand what you're saying? Yeah. Like, it's almost a discredit to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Like, this dude is, he, he's a unicorn. Stop saying that other people are like him. This is Be- like what Chase Daniel did on the afternoon <laughs> show when people were talking about Tyson Bajan, and he was like, whoa, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> There's, like you, he, I'm he, Chase Daniel. He, right, exactly. No, he said that. <laughs> I'm mother. Right. How many, how many guys right, are going to make $40 right. million dollars never playing? And he's like, come on, I'm Chase Daniel. There's a respect on my yes. name, right? And I, I'm a Hall of Famer. <laughs> at, at the, the bank. bank. <laughs> I do. I, I am thoroughly impressed with the evaluation of Caleb Williams. And so at this point, I will, I will not have any issue if the Bears draft him at number one. My bigger concern, and I, I don't like the conversation being distilled down to either they got the wrong guy or they got the right guy. Because I think our, our collective football discussion in this town can and should be more nuanced than that. And for the Bears, who over the last quarter century have drafted four different quarterbacks in the first round now, maybe a fifth coming up here, and haven't developed any of them to any consistent level of success. There's a bunch of examples of squads, and that email I sent you guys, who teams, I mean, even the ones, I, I removed certain franchises from the discussion because, like, Green Bay, yeah, they had back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Neither of them were a top-five pick with the Packers on. This is where, like, I think, yeah, I didn't realize it in the moment, but then I, I was listening back to when, you know, Herb and Goffrey, because I, I wasn't able to come back on Friday. But I think Parkins kind of thought, like, he had kind of proven a point where he said, well, the folks you removed from the list are the ones who won all the Super Bowls. That's true, but it still supports my argument, though, that Peyton Manning, like the Colts are the only squad out of the ones. I removed the Patriots, the Packers, the Colts, the Steelers, and the Saints from that last quarter century of, of success and went to a bunch of other franchises who've been uber successful over that stretch of time. The only reason I removed those is because it was kind of one or two QBs who did it the whole time. There weren't as many examples of cycling through quarterbacks. But the Colts... And, and, and yet... Logically, those also could have been similarly well-run organizations. Exactly. But they happen to also have the quarterback. To me, that they are evidence of that. The Colts are the only squad in those examples that I would say they drafted the right guy right. at number one overall, and he cured everything for the Colts. That's not Tom Brady with the Patriots. 
Tom Brady's like first three Super Bowls, he was like the 12th or 15th best person on their team. Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. Ben's not an example of them just drafting the right guy and him curing everything. He was a passenger on their first Super Bowl run. Drew Brees and was, then at became another, that. was at another They place. could not wait to get Drew Brees Correct. out of San Diego. And then he became something in New Orleans with Sean Payton and a franchise that put infrastructure in place. So the teams I removed, yeah, it was because they had kind of a singular or two Hall of Fame quarterback for a hmm. decade or two. But they support the argument I'm making. I was just kind of out of respect removing them because they weren't, they didn't have like three or four different quarterbacks over the last quarter century that were getting it done. But it's rare when you get the one guy who just makes everything else smell better for you. The Bears have a lot of stuff that they got to get right. I'd like to see you write this up, actually. I mean, the the, the rough data mm-hmm. is 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 great. Have you thought about doing Couple thousand maybe, words on the score website. Yeah, I guess? maybe closer to the draft or something. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna take a vacation first. Who knows? I didn't expect to do this. Really, this was I've tweeted some versions of this a couple of times here over the last few weeks. Yeah, but this is and worth, got this got is, a surprising degree of pushback on it. So then I went a couple of Fridays ago. I was gonna be on the air with Gabe that night, like two Fridays ago. So you know what? I went into it thinking like it's maybe Dallas. Philadelphia, Seattle. All right, let me just write it, like do some research on a few teams here. And then startling the amount of teams that have been so much better than the Bears with a bunch of quarterbacks and a bunch of coaches without having the right guy that they quote-unquote drafted. It's a lot more nuanced than that. You have to have a lot of things right around the quarterback. This is a very Joshian newsletter uh, kind uh, of thing. Oh, you know what that means. <laughs> I'm just saying. Dan's 100% in on it. Hey, Big Ant, you really made it oh, now. No, I, I was going to bring <laughs> that when, when you get the comps to Joshian. Yeah, okay. oh. no, no, I was going to bring it back this week. Remember the conversation we had about the Snellinger principle, about Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger? He, got, he had a huge pushback. On that, and he wrote about that and about what it was essentially yeah. some the of the argument, argument that, that I made. What was, yeah. was that was part of it? That was one of the planks yeah. of it. Of if you're not supposed to overspend on free agents, how do you get the free agents? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah. and and saying what do you care if your team oversets? Either way, exactly. either way, right. I'd be really interested yeah. to, to, to. I see might this. do that. Yeah, Where are you going on vacation? I don't know yet. I don't know. We're just starting to talk about it now. We we, we tend with the first vacate, like the first postseason vacation, we. Just figure something out at the last second. You're like, usually. let's let's go to New Orleans for a couple of uh, days, or or let's go to like a resort in the Caribbean or something like that. We oh. do something like that last second, and then we do like a bigger trip, kind of in the summer or whatever. But where does Bishop want to go? At some point, the Serengeti. Yes, we want to go to South Africa. Yeah, really? Yeah, that we're not going to plan at the last second. That we're going to no. take some time <laughs> to kind of figure that out. Right? Do you guys right. have any flights to South Africa? <laughs> right. But your blink. You know, we do <laughs> exactly. But they're but ten thousand dollars a piece. You are. He is. He is. <laughs> He is. Was that Lethal Weapon 3? Two. Uh, two? Two. Two. Yeah, that was oh, Leo Getz. Right? Leo Getz. But your blink. That's my mom's favorite character from any of the Lethal Weapon movies. Leo Getz. Hello. Can I please get some cotton for my nose? That's an actor with range. Joe Pesci. Here we go. Okay. That's that, my guy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He has bestowed the blessing on Joe Pesci. Have you ever listened to Joe Pesci's album? What kind of? Oh, album? you didn't know that Joe Pesci oh, did an album. He's a band leader. Big, he and like Frank Vincent. You, you think it was the right Joe Pesci? Uh huh. Singer. Well, does he have like a baton and everything? No, too? he's like singing on this really? album. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, the who, next time, who would we comp his musical stylings with? I'm very curious about this now. To Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is as good of a singer as Patrick Mahomes is a quarterback. 
I can't wait sure, to check we, this out. And we spend all this time. We've never seen stuff like this before with Patrick Mahomes. Well, what's Caleb Williams? He's just like Patrick Mahomes. Wait, but we've spent... 102 years waiting to see someone like Patrick Mahomes. I know. I know. What a coincidence, right? But it's shocking that you wouldn't go for, I don't know, Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. Like, you wouldn't wouldn't just say that perhaps he's a better version of Kyler Murray. souped up Kyler Murray. Which would be pretty good. (laughs) No. Let's go all the way. Let's go all the way to Patrick F. Mahomes. I, I hope he becomes just like Patrick Mahomes. I don't see it happening, but I hope he does. I hope the Bears figure out how to develop a quarterback, regardless of who it is next see, season. See, that's the bigger issue, too. Yes. That you, let's say that you have your comp. You have your Patrick Mahomes comp. Mm-hmm. Who's going to teach him? It's my concern. It's whatever. It's my you concern. know what? I've had enough of this. All right. Get out of here, Aaron. <laughs> 